Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Seeking What They Sought. I'm one of your hosts, Anthony Leiter, and uh, let's get this party started. Well, welcome everyone. Welcome to Seeking What They Sought. Uh, we are here today with Pastor Doug Batchelor, and uh, I think that a lot of us in Adventism probably know the name. Uh, he is a he is the president of Amazing Facts, and uh, he is also um, someone with a pretty crazy story. Uh, he has a book out. It's called The Richest Caveman, and uh, it is a it is a uh, a story of his experience of conversion and his, his early life, his conversion, and uh, and uh, it's it's pretty incredible. And so we're here today with with Pastor Doug. Thank you for being on the podcast. It's a delight. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, we just kind of wanted to start out with, uh, you know, Pastor Doug, a lot of people have seen you as somebody on, you know, YouTube in uh, on a stage, you know, in a suit, something like that. But uh, Anthony just has like a question, that, a couple of questions to ask uh, to kind of um, get to know you a little bit. So, Anthony, go for it. Yeah, for sure, Pastor Doug. And uh, so I guess my first question is, we want to know one amazing fact about you. And so I guess our question is, what's maybe kind of a fun fact about you that maybe not a lot of people know? Oh, boy, that, that puts me on the spot. <laughs> um, well, I guess everyone knows it. I, I'm, I'm actually a, I'm something of a recluse hmm. in, in some ways. You know, people see me up front and everything, but they'd be surprised. I go off to the hills by myself, and uh, I just really enjoy sometimes being even my wife says, you know, go and uh, I'll go ride around in the mountains by myself for a few days and, and uh, have a very good time. Nice. Is there a, is there anywhere you like to go especially? Um, well, last year uh, I, I was heading up to the Mendocino National Forest and um, I was actually there when this big lightning strike hit that ended up becoming the biggest fire in North American history. I saw it happen. Wow. So that was an interesting event. And then it burned for a month and just kept spreading. But there are some places up there the fire actually went through where I was was there when the fire was burning. And uh, That's incredible. I kind of got caught one night driving home through the – I had forest fire burning around me. I I even posted some video. It was very interesting. Wow. So you were there. going up in the hills. You were there when the lightning struck. I, well, I saw it. I, I didn't see the lightning strike at my feet or anything. I saw it across the hill. Wow. 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 That's incredible. It, wow, that's incredible. Anthony, did you have another question? I did, yeah. So my other one was, uh, what is your favorite dessert of all time? <laughs> well, I don't eat my favorite dessert anymore. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, it's still my favorite. <laughs> but I used, to, I used to eat... I actually did a sermon on it because I was addicted. I used to eat a lot of Haagen-Dazs ice cream. It was, I used to eat vanilla Swiss almond. And, but I don't vanilla think I've had Swiss any of that almonds. in 10 years. Oh, wow. wow. Nice. I like cookies. I eat a cookie almost every day with my sort of dessert after I get done eating. Oatmeal well, raisin. Actually, salt choice. That actually brings us to a, another piece of, uh, of things that uh, that we saw that we were surprised as we were kind of preparing to, to talk with you, um, kind of the health message side of things. We've seen a video of you doing a backflip on stage. Is that yeah. standard? I mean, is that part of every sermon? First of all, is that, is that real? Was that a, is that real? <laughs> no, a- it's real. Well, so I used to do backflips, which are a little more uh, difficult than a back handspring. So that what I did at Net New York, and as I got older, I just did a back handspring. 
where you don't just flip around, land on your feet, you land on your hands and flip over. But um, that all came out of, I was doing a meeting, I think in Redding, California in the nineties. And I was doing question and answer. And somebody said during the health talk, you can't be healthy and be a vegetarian. Mm. And I said, well, uh, can you do a back handspring or backflip? And, and uh, I took gymnastics at Southwestern University. I had to take a health class, so I took that. Anyway, and so at that, people remember that, and so it started becoming part of the health talk. Uh, <laughs> but it happened kind of spontaneously the first time. But I don't do that anymore. I'm, uh, I'm about 64 next week. So uh, oh, wow. I, it's not that, that I did it and hurt myself. I just don't want to keep doing it until I do hurt myself. <laughs> oh, man, I have to ask my dad about that one. He was he was a senior pastor in Redding, California during the 90s. So I have to ask him if he saw that in person. So, uh... Oh, well, did, <laughs> did he work with Reinhold Tilstra? I'll have to ask him that. He'll hear this yeah, recording, that... too. So I'll have to. What was that name? OK, good. Reinhold Tilstra was the oh, okay. pastor then. Oh, OK. All right. Maybe he'll probably know that that name. But uh <laughs> Yeah. Well, Doug, I, I think that's that's hilarious that it happened spontaneously. So <laughs> that was that was a spur of the moment. But but uh, what we want to what we wanted to talk to with you about is obviously you've been uh, you've been part of Adventism now for for how many years? Oh, let me see. It's probably been a little over forty years now. Wow. Yeah. So um, you've been part of the church for a long time, and you have uh, you've been preaching for a long time. You have you've been a big part of evangelism in our church. And um, obviously, well, I guess I say obviously, but I'm sure in your time you've seen divides, you've seen you've seen uh, uh, theological differences, you've seen cultural differences. I'll come to the head and, mm-hmm. and all and all of that. But there's definitely something happening right now that is part of our world. Our world is experiencing it as well as our church, and that's a divide between different camps: liberal, conservative. Um, are are kind of the two big uh, uh, big words that we might mm-hmm. use. Um, and so today we wanted to talk about your perspective on that divide. Uh, um, to, to, in spirit of full disclosure, uh, we are we tend to um, come from a sp- from spaces that are more. I wouldn't even say more liberal, but but not necessarily conservative, or at least thought 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 processes for ourselves, or just uh, where we are. And so um, we wanted to get a perspective. That's uh, that may be slightly different than ours, and maybe we line up in, in, in more ways than we thought. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of what the conversation we wanted to start with. So, mm-hmm. I, what are your thoughts? I mean, do you see do you see a divide in our church, conservative, liberal, or even other divides? Uh, yes, the you know uh, the church is living in a society, and the people coming to the church are part of that society. And so, if you have polarization and divide in society, it'll be also reflected in the church. And so because we're made up of the culture we live in, so you're going to have people from different backgrounds that come to Christ, and they're bringing their uh, societal views with them into the church, so you're, you know, sometimes you'll see that play out in the church. Do I mean, you would tend to get the label of conservative from from uh, 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 the parts of Adventism that, that uh, m- many of us inhabit. Would you say that that's true and i'm not i'm really not trying to label you i'm just i'm wondering if you would identify in that space or if you're kind of like no i'd I'd like to i'd like to have a more nuanced thought yeah no i you know i think when we we use the terms of conservative or liberal i think everyone understands we're speaking in general terms and you can't you know there's nuances to that but i probably in general terms would be considered a more conservative uh seventh-day adventist 
And I I know people out there that think that I've already sold out on different issues. I mean, so there's some people who think I'm very liberal. So it depends on who you talk to, but generally speaking, that would be true. Yeah. Now the part of the reason we want to talk about this is because obviously this is this is something that we've even come to a place where there's conversations about church splitting and things like that and a lot of concerns from people in our local churches about like what happens to the future of Adventism. But um it, it, would you say that in this in this time period it's more divided than t- other times that you've experienced or is this kind of par for the course we're just seeing it in new ways? Yeah, unfortunately I I think at least in my experience in the church, I, for years I thought I was a new member. But gradually I look back and say, I guess I'm not a new member anymore. But um, in my experience in the generation that I've been part of the church, I've seen uh, a big rift uh, on different issues that seems to be very deep. Is Is there anything specific that you would name as— kind of things that you you definitely see as things that are are pushing the sides apart um yeah i i think that um one thing i notice is that the view of uh scripture and uh, you know people start saying well you know first 11 chapters in in genesis are probably um you know fables that are to teach lessons and uh you know, used to be that every Adventist believed believe those were absolutes and the you know, six literal days of creation and so forth. And so I was shocked when I saw that there were people in good standing that said, you know, Tower of Babel never happened, Noah never happened, and so forth. Hmm. Yeah. So that would be yeah. one major area for me is hmm. as soon as you start saying, well, this part of the Bible is real and this part is uh, was just, you know, made up. Hmm. Yeah. And, and Anthony, I'm sure you, you want to say something here, but I, I wanted to mention, Pastor Doug, as I as I look at those type of things, and and you know we don't have time to get into the weeds or into the 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 to go into some of the deep theology of that right now. We're just looking at that that concept of there's there's different camps in Adventism, and just mm-hmm. recognizing those are there, and and so as you've talked about, there's that reality, that reality that there are differences when it comes to our views of of the Bible, the way that we interpret the Bible. And so from, and maybe I'm, I'm getting too far ahead of myself, but you can do that with many different issues, right? You, you mentioned um, six literal days of creation. Um, we've, we've seen in our church in the last few years, but it's, it's really been for a while, but it's, it's gotten more and more prominent, the, the discussion around women's ordination and other things that are brought up when it comes to scripture. What does it actually say? Um, how does that um, come to a head also in our culture and, and, what you know? What we're actually prioritizing is it the way we read our Bible? Is it the way we view what we feel should be in culture? What should be happening uh, today? Mm-hmm. And so, when we look at those things, again, the 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 thing we're trying to look at is, yeah, we agree with you. There's this divide. So how how do we come together and and find a way to bridge that gap and and find a way to meet people that are in those different camps in a healthy way because it seems to be that simply listing facts don't always reach people it doesn't always connect with people in a way that will actually bring them um, to a better understanding and mm-hmm. and that I, I know for myself too that's not always going to bring me to a better understanding even if it's true and so it's in and, and it's always a symptom right you know if my heart's not ready to hear it then then that's a big thing but 
what, what, is it, what is something that we can do as a church to, to reach out and, and bridge that gap? Because there have been times where there has been, uh, for lack of a better word, toxic behavior. And I'm not mm-hmm. going to say in one specific camp or the other, I know that there's been times that we've, we've put each other in separate camps, even to the point where I even wonder if, if um, certain, on certain areas, if, if someone would consider uh, someone that believed something about uh, creation about um, women's ordination or, or another issue if they would still consider them Adventist and how we would talk to them. And so how do we, how do we get rid of that? Because it seems to be mirroring what we see in politics as well, this divide and just labeling other people and not remembering the human aspect of, of dialogue and, and debate and, and discourse. Yeah, well, that's a great question. And, you know, I think all of us, uh, we probably face some of these moral dilemmas every day and wondering, uh, you know, how do we, uh, we all have different views. Uh, How do we relate to people as Christians and show them the love of Christ? And uh, there are certain issues where I think we need to all agree to disagree agreeably. Hmm. And, uh, you know, I forget the exact quote and and whether it was Augustine who said that, you know, we need, there's certain things that are non-negotiable. Hmm. And but we mm-hmm. need to show charity to everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that, you know, when you go into the Adventist church and start asking 10 people about the 144,000, you'll get 11 different views. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> for me, you know, you can love each other, and not worry about that. And, and so the, depending on what the issues are, some things are more crucial for sal- salvation. Hmm. And I think we need to stand tall and strong on what those issues are and be con- convicted about what those things are and how they could, how they could play upon, um, you know, e- the eternal ramifications, pray for wisdom to know how to separate them. Uh, you know, you have to sometimes decide what mountains you're going to die on, so to speak. Let, let some things go. I'll give you an example. Um, I think people know I, a few years ago, church was preparing to make a vote on women's ordination. And at that time, Everybody was sharing their views, and that was really the time to do it because, you know, we worked through a democratic process, and uh, Dwight Nelson and I are very good friends, uh, and yet we were on the opposite sides wow. uh, of that. You know, we worked together doing two or three evangelistic meetings at Andrews, and, and we're still good friends. Uh, so, you know, but there was a time where he was very vocal about his views, and I was very vocal about my views. Well, then I get invited in 2014 to go to China and do the first evangelistic series of any denomination in 50 years, a full series that was videotaped outside of Shanghai. Just it was wow. a miracle that that door opened. Wow. Well, the yeah. ladies, I work with lady pastors. Mm-hmm. So when I get there, what am I going to do? I'm going to say, I can't work with these gals. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> They're lady pastors. So of course not. And they, I met some of the nicest ladies over there and most dedicated Christians. Now, you know, they never, they were very, um, what's the word for it? They were very careful not to even refer to themselves as lady pastors, but that's basically, they were serving in that function. But, uh, so you, you just have to say, you know, in the big picture, that's not, an, don't make an issue about something like that. When you're preaching to people that are hearing the gospel for the first time, mm. you don't die on that mountain. And that would just be a terrible distraction. So, we're, I think we're facing dilemmas on this all the time. I'll give you another example. We got a call, you know, we air on the Lifetime Network, which mm-hmm. is, it's a large national network. And uh, they called us this week and they said, we have to have you edit this program. And our media guy said, why? 
He said, well, you used the scripture in there about homosexuality, and that's just, that's not going to fly. Hmm. And we said, was it something I said? They said, no, you just quoted a verse. Hmm. So I said, so you're not going to air a program because we quoted a Bible verse that goes against the cultural uh, view of it right now. Yeah. And so we had to pull that program back, edit out that verse. Now, that, for me, was a real struggle. I thought, man, you know, you're, we're being screened now for just reading the Bible in American TV because they say this is not socially acceptable. So, where, you know, where do you draw the line? Um, there's a lot Can of I, could I ask, issues. actually, a little bit about that? Sure. Because, I mean, for instance, uh, there's probably a, a big portion of— there's, there's definitely people that I know that would be like— um, yeah, that's weird, but you know, I get it. It's fine culturally. And then there's probably a large portion of people that are like, how, how, how could you bend over backwards to the, to, you know, to the pressure of society and edit your program? I'm sure you, I'm sure, you know, if someone hears that, they're going to be like, Oh, pastor Doug sold out. You know, how, how do you decide that? I, well, I just had a curiosity. This has been a problem in Canada for all the ministries. It's not just amazing. Mm-hmm. fact, this is the first time in a North American company this happened, but we've had issues in Canada and England for years where there's certain programs we just can't air. They, they take you off the air and then you have no voice. Hmm. So you either gotcha. need to, what we do is we pick the programs where we can get through and then they go to our website where we can have unfiltered freedom. Mm-hmm. I mean, now mm-hmm. that's even becoming in question. I shouldn't say that, <laughs> but it used to be people could, you know, you go to your website and you could, then you, they get your lessons and they study their way into the truth. So if it means that we have to be more discreet in what we say on TV to get them to the website, to get the whole message, we're not sacrificing the message. That's a lot more effective than just saying we can't broadcast on TV anymore. So I yeah, think it's the that, more prudent thing to do. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Anthony, yeah. you had a question. Yeah, and well, first I just wanted to thank you, Pastor Doug, because well, what I hear you saying is there's some, you know, being contextual, contextually aware enough to sort of pick and choose some hills aren't worth dying on, and you know, to to sort of know when that is. I guess. My question is sort of along the, similar lines, I guess, to Sean is, um, you know, I, I as I mentioned, we mentioned before we were recording, I work for the Southeastern California Conference. We have a female president and, you know, working in a space like that, what I've found having f- colleagues and friends who work there, um, as well as colleagues and friends who work in other spaces, probably more traditionally conservative, to use that word, is so the different sides, if you will, care so deeply about different things. And so like my friends who maybe are in the more conservative camp, abortion is such an important issue to them. When I talk to them and what I hear from them is this is such a keystone, important issue to them. And the same thing with religious freedom, the same thing with, you know, last day events, those things seem to be really important to them, really crucial. And then on the, you know, I guess more progressive, or I don't even like that term, liberal side, on the liberal side of things, in spaces where I inhabit a lot, social justice and 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 championing championing uh, women in ministry, those things are seen as so important. When you have both sides that feel like these things are so important, it seems like they're competing. How how have you found ways to even have a conversation? Because to me, it seems like I find myself maybe a little more moderate than some in uh you know in the in california californian spaces but even then i 
Yeah, it seems like it's just, it's difficult, just like in American politics right now, it's difficult to even have a conversation, you know, just mm -hmm. look at anyone's Facebook feed around uh, election time, uh, mm -hmm. things get, seem to get really heated and crazy. So how do you even, I'm curious how, how you navigate that when, when you're having conversations. Yeah, well, I need to be very careful because I think that, um, you know, in our uh, ministry at Amazing Facts, if I get the ministry where we're involved in supporting one political party above another, um, it can eviscerate what our mission is. Our mission is not to build a kingdom here. Our mission is to get people into the kingdom that will last forever. Mm. So it's really easy for us to get, um, and it's not that some of these issues aren't important. You know, anyone who wants to know any of my friends, I'll know where I stand on different things. But when it comes to broadcasting, you know, our mission is to broadcast the gospel, the Great Commission, bring people to Christ. Uh, and encourage lives of dedication and holiness. And everything else to me is secondary to that. And so whenever I get a platform, and I go to Southeastern, I've, thankfully I've been invited back down there the last few years. But when I go down there, I don't talk about those, any kind of polarizing issue, mm. because there's such a dearth right now of just Bible preaching. Mm. You know, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, Jesus is coming, the three angels' message. And so that's really been uh, my emphasis. And I have so much to say on that, that um, I, I don't like getting pigeonholed by all the other things that people are getting distracted by. Mm. If, so, if, if I could respond, you said you feel passionate about preaching the gospel, and I think that's another layer of it because it seems like to there's almost different definitions, right, of what even the gospel is that seems to be mm -hmm. competing. Mm -hmm. So for for you to come and say, I'm just preaching the gospel, it seems almost like, the, yeah, there, there would be a competing definition for that. And they would say, well, you're not preaching the gospel. And so I guess that's why, I, and that's, again, not me saying that to attack you, but just kind of representing maybe an alternate perspective. How do, I guess, how do we even move forward when we don't even agree on the baseline, you know, almost definition. Yeah, well, Jesus tells us, you know, just as last week in my sermon, uh, which I won't repeat for you right now, uh, <laughs> you know, I quoted from Matthew, where Jesus said, in the judgment, I'll say, you know, I was hungry, did you give me food? I was thirsty, did you give me drink? Mm. So there's no question that part of the gospel is giving people the physical bread and water and visit them in prison and, um, you know, cover the naked and uh, taking the stranger, that's part of it. Part of it's the spiritual, living water, bread of life. And so the gospel is very broad and comprehensive. But for me, to get involved in uh, warring political parties, I see that that would really undermine what our ministry is. Mm. And so I, I'm careful, quite honestly, to just avoid that. I've actually put stuff on the Internet that had nothing to do with the election, and people read into my quote something and I thought, how are they getting that? Because people are already so emotional and passionate. It's like they're reading between the lines, hoping they're going to find you saying something to support one party or the other. And, mm -hmm. and I thought, boy, I got to be really careful what I say. So I, so I did speak up. I spoke up on abortion at the General Conference Executive Committee because it was on the agenda. Mm -hmm. And so if you do that today, people say you're conservative and you're with this party. Right. They pigeonhole you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and so, you know. But that was so on the agenda. Naturally, naturally, our next question is, who did you vote for? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Eric, Eric, I think you had a question. No, I was curious, Doug, how, how do you, thinking on outside of American politics and more within the church, 
there's a lot of divide within the church, right? We were talking talking about that. How do you navigate that with your ministry? Because, um, uh, as an example, with the women's ordination thing, I know like you you kind of got a lot of backlash for that within some circles. I'm sure you got a lot of support within other circles. But how does that, with you being the president of Amazing Facts, how do you navigate not wanting to just turn off half of the you know half of the denomination but also being true to who you are and what you think the bible says you know paul says uh, i have not neglected to proclaim to you all the counsel of god and so in you know i of course i pastor a church and not everything i say is an evangelistic sermon uh, a lot of what i preach is um um you know ministry and when I say ministry, I just I'm talking about you know living the Christian life, practical things. I think I talked about selfishness last week, but um, I was surprised years ago when suddenly I I became a poster child on women's ordination because a, a magazine took a sermon I had preached two years earlier that no one even noticed, hmm. but they had found a post on YouTube. It had been there just kind of gra- gathering dust for two years, and someone found it. And sent it to the magazine. They played it and wrote an article about it like, this is big news. I thought, well, that was two years ago. Nobody said anything. My church didn't even, you know, it was. And uh, that was this, was, that's it, just it, to say, excuse me, go ahead. It Was that was that the sermon surrounding the Greek word for, uh, for that, the Greek origin of the word for seminary? Was it that one? I did that mention that in the sermon. Okay, yeah. Okay, yeah. That's, actually, that's actually a question that somebody had so one of our listeners we we had mentioned we're interviewing Doug Bachelor and they were curious and so that was something they wanted to ask about like you know is that an argument that you would continue to use is that something that you're like ah maybe I would word that differently probably uh, not yeah, yeah yeah probably not that you know I don't write out my sermons hmm. oh and really so, no and so it's coming from mm-hmm. a pastor that's very interesting you, so you don't manuscript no I, I I mean I have an outline mm. when I do a sermon you know I've yeah. got uh, kind of high points. And it's yeah. in one piece of paper that, you know, we'll, wow. I file fold and put in my Bible. And so uh, that was definitely not in my notes. <laughs> I just, <laughs> I just happened to know, I was sort of musing to myself during the sermon that that word, you know, is connected with the word seed. And I thought yeah. that seems like it's incongruous. And boy, people really got uh, upset about that. Yeah. It, well, apart. And, yeah. And, it was off the cuff. And, and so part, kind of with that, you know, I wonder, because I, I imagine in your shoes, you know, you, you do have such an, a, an incredible reach through Amazing Facts. And, and it's funny, because growing up, I saw, like, as a little kid, I saw Amazing Facts. I saw, you know, as a little kid, and... Uh, You're making me feel old. I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, but... Uh, no, but, you know, that's something that, that's been around for a while. And even before you, I think, you know, sometimes... I, I know there's many people in your... Um, through Amazing Facts that do so much work, and it's not just you. You're kind of the face of the franchise for many Adventists as we watch uh, mm-hmm. Amazing Facts. And so with that, though, you know, the benefit of hearing the, the many good things you've been able to do, I know it, it It just sounds so challenging because every word could be studied or scrutinized. And I wonder, like, mm-hmm. with you being such a public figure, does that get exhausting? You know, do you do you kind of, you, you've kind of mentioned it, you, you almost sit back and laugh like, oh, man, they wrote a whole article about this one thing I said two years ago and made a big deal out of it. Does, does that ever, you know, you even said at the very beginning that you are naturally not an outgoing necessarily person. You like to get away in the mountains. And so it, 
you know, how do you, how do you go through that? How do you, you've done this now for, for what, 30, close to 30 years now. Yeah, over 30 years, over 25, 30 years. Okay. 26 with Amazing Facts. Okay. But I was a conference evangelist in Northern for several years before that, so it's a little different, though. Yeah. Um, it's, a, again, a good question. Um, you know, if you could see the mail that comes into the office, first of all, we are thrilled. We get wonderful testimonies of people yeah. that say, um, well, let me give you, I'll tell you one real quick, just to give you an example, and then I'll, I'll, that'll lead into what you're asking. I call and thank people every now and then for supporting the ministry. And I call this family, very generous. Uh, and um, halfway through the conversation, the lady says, now, Pastor Doug, she was from Jackson, Mississippi. She said, Pastor Doug, you know, we're not Seventh-day Adventists, hmm. which surprised me because these folks were regular supporters in a big way. And I said, oh, I felt really silly. <laughs> and, and she said, oh, no, we're Baptists. And she said, well, we love your ministry, and we're going to both churches right now. We figure one of these days we're going to have to probably get in one boat or the other. But uh, <laughs> wow. she said, but we're using all your material in our Baptist church every week, and, and uh, people love it, most of them anyway. And so, you know, here you've got this family watching the program, and they're now sharing the truths with their Baptist—it's the largest Baptist church in uh, Jackson, Mississippi. And uh, wow. we hear testimonies like that all the time. But then we also get letters, and people say, Pastor Doug, are you aware that you said such and such, and that is categorically wrong? Wow. And then they'll show me the reference. And you don't know how many times I have to write them and say, uh, in the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. Meaning, if you say enough, if you're human, you're going to say something wrong. <laughs> yeah. And so I, because yeah. I preach kind of extemporaneously, I've, I've made a lot of mistakes, and people have corrected me, and I've learned. Hmm. I don't know how long, you know, there's a lot of times I was pronouncing a word wrong, I got, <laughs> I got through with this sermon talking, talking about exoderma, and uh, I mentioned it 50 times in the sermon, children of darkness. Doctor came out afterward, and uh, he said, Doug, it's zero derma. <laughs> it's an exoderma. I thought, that, oh man, I just made a real fool out of myself. So, um, you know, you often have to apologize, and you, but if you don't take any risks, I've always believed I'd rather do something wrong than do nothing very well. Mm-hmm. And so you need to take a risk and preach the gospel, and you're going to make mistakes. You try and be, you're right, your words can make a big difference. So you try to be as accurate as you can be, but uh, you're going to make mistakes. And you just, you know, if it crushes you every time, you'll get discouraged. Yeah. Pastor Doug, if I could ask you a question, and, and this is a maybe a more— um, uh, a harder question than maybe we've been asking, um, at least from my, my perspective. Um, and, and what I don't want to do is ask any gotcha questions because we, we want to have a conversation with you. We're not trying to you know trap you in a corner or anything mm-hmm. like that. But I'm, I'm genuinely curious. This is something that I had experienced uh, a while back. And I think I was, I was at my mom's house and she was listening to you on the radio. And someone asked a question about smoking and baptism. And the, the reason I'm asking this, we've been talking about the liberal conservative divide. And this kind of illustrates maybe some of the places that, that I think is... is uh, may may uh, potentially could illustrate a, a difference in thought. And so someone asked something about, you know, do I, does, does someone need to, to stop smoking to be baptized? And if I recall, I think that your answer to that question was that you, the answer was yes. And many people on the other side, um, and just to out myself, I think myself included, um, would disagree with, with that, at least conceptually, you know, depending on the case, you know. And so... I'm curious about 
first of all, if am I right? You know, did you actually say that, or am, am I just hearing something? Um, uh, okay. And, then, and then beyond that, if if I if I am right, then if I am correct about that, then then uh, what are some thoughts about the differences in in perspective behind those two things? Oh uh, yeah, absolutely, you are right, and I'll be happy to labor with you, Jesse. Uh, yeah. I I think that um, if John the Baptist said and Paul said that when a person's baptized, they need to bring forth fruits meet to repentance, mm-hmm. and um, I think that for a person to come to Christ and say, I am repenting of my sins without really repenting of their sins and believing that, doing something that is really slow suicide, and this is coming from a smoker. Uh, So believing that doing something that is suicidal, uh, you know, it's a slow poison, is not a sin. It says on every pack, this is going to kill you. And that you're going to come out of the water after baptism and say, praise the Lord, Jesus saved me, and then blow smoke in someone's face. And they'll say, well, you look like you're still addicted. I think it's a bad testimony, and it hurts them. That's the main thing. It hurts them. Uh, the pastor who baptized me, I was smoking up to two weeks before my baptism. Hmm. And yeah. I wanted to get baptized. And I was arguing with him what you're sharing with me. <laughs> I was yeah. saying, Pastor Phillips, it's not what goes in my mouth that defiles me. It's what comes out. I had all the arguments. <laughs> and, um, and while I was arguing with him one day, I had my two-year-old girl in the pickup truck. He, we'd stopped at the post office. I'm sitting in the truck. I've got my cigarette pack on the dashboard. My little two-year-old is there. While I'm talking to him defending smoking, she reached over and got a hold of my cigarettes and began to shake the pack, and they're flying out of my Marlboro pack. Mm-hmm. And he said, see there? He said, she is going to follow your example. And boy, I tell mm-hmm. you, that was a crushing um, conviction for me. And you know what? I, I, I quit smoking. And I was still drinking one glass of wine a week or maybe a little more than that. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah. I quit I quit drinking. I quit smoking. I said, I don't want to do anything to make anyone else stumble. I repented of my sins. And by God's grace, I have not had a cigarette in 40 years. God set me free. Wow. But I think you need to lay those things aside. Or you basically can discourage the person who gets baptized and they think, oh, Jesus saved me. How come I'm still struggling with this? Now, that doesn't mean you have to be perfect before baptism, and I think that's where you're coming from. I think people yeah, that's kind of the to, question. People yeah. can come to Christ and accept Christ, and I've led many people to Christ that have, they're still smoking, they've got all kinds of other issues, but they come to Christ, he saves them, and then he begins giving them victory, but they need to show conversion before mm. they're baptized. Mm. So I'm reading some... That's, that's interesting. Yeah. I, yeah. I, appreciate, I appreciate the nuance there, because... Yeah. Again, what that what the, the immediate thing that I hear, and that maybe other people who who are uh, uh, similar age group or, or or similar thought process to me may hear is immediately hearing that is that you know you have to be perfect to be baptized, and so the nuance of what you're saying is that th- they need to experience some level of of life change or, or the desire for life change as opposed mm-hmm. to the um, the kind of like, you know, I'll just come in with all my stuff with zero desire to change, and hopefully, you know, God just does the work afterwards, is, is, if I'm hearing you correctly. Yeah, I and I think that, um, boy, if you read some of the books of the, some of the great missionaries that went overseas, you know, William Carey and Adoniram Judson and, and some of the others, and David Livingston, they sometimes labored with people because they had higher standards than the Adventist Church, right? Does now <laughs> they did? I mean, they yeah. were making they were making them wear Western clothes and all kinds of things. And sometimes yeah. they went years without a convert because they wanted them to change everything before they were mm. baptized. Yeah, mm. I believe a person can come to Christ, be saved, not be baptized yet, 
and be in the process of gaining victory over certain things. But once your baptism is admission to the church, once you're in the church and you say, I now am part of this family and we live by these certain standards, if they're still drinking, smoking, and gambling, and they say, yeah, I'm a, I'm a member of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, I think that brings reproach on the cause, and it hurts them. Hmm. Now, that doesn't mean That's God isn't working in their lives. Hmm. It means they're, they're a child, they're growing towards baptism, and they get prepared for that. Gotcha. Thanks for the perspective. I, I appreciate the, uh, the nuance of that. Sean, you were going to ask something? Yeah, I mean, it goes with, and, and I appreciate your, your answer, Pastor Doug. I, I definitely have to think about that one. I've got to think about that one because, um, you know, in my head, where my, where my mind goes immediately is, is still trying to understand, like you said, that point of conversion and understanding if, if someone's to be baptized, knowing, you know, both on one side, they don't have to be perfect. There's this process of sanctification, but knowing that line, that clear line um, for me, at least, my perspective is it struggles, you know, can I have a clear bullet point list? I desire the bullet point list, the black and the white, for knowing like, hey, yeah, this is the, you know, this is clear that the Spirit has led true conversion and they are ready for baptism versus um, where in my mind it feels sometimes gray of, well, you know, for one person, the progress they've already made, and maybe on, from my life, it looks like they're still really messed up, but they've made so much progress, and that at this point, it would it would be so amazing to to baptize them, be a part of this church. And, and the reason I say that is because I, I almost wonder or even worry if if we didn't allow for baptism, and, and, and I don't want to use the word refused, because you're saying essentially that we're not refusing, we're not turning people away from the church, we're saying try to try to reach the heart and really understand that they've they've bought into what it means to live a transformed life in in Christ um, but I, I do worry because I have seen some that have been burned from the church mm-hmm. um, burned from certain people in the church pastors or leaders in the church where they feel like they can't live up to expectations and it becomes this mindset of I'm not good enough. I can't be baptized because I still have this struggle in my life, even though I desire to follow the Lord. And even though I've made progress, I've seen victory in my life, but I'm not all the way there. So is it really just playing that waiting game until there's a certain threshold met that someone can be baptized? Well, if you don't have uh, a guide or a gauge, you've got two extremes. One is perfectionism, Mm -hmm. that a person Mm -hmm. has to be perfect before they're baptized, and no one's ever going to feel like they're ready. And the other is that you lower the standard, so being uh, baptized and coming to Christ actually has no relevance. Mm. And that's how the Church kind of fell into great apostasy during the Dark Ages, mm. is mm. Um, they, wanted, they were more interested in growing the Church. They said, let's just bring all the pagans in so we can you know, swell our numbers. Mm. And uh, you march a whole army through the river and tell them you're now Christians with no teaching. <laughs> and so Jesus said, go therefore teach, baptize, and he says, teaching them to obey— yeah. All things whatsoever I've commanded you. Mm-hmm. So what the Adventist Church has done for well, 100 years now is they you've got our 27 fundamentals, but then that's kind of broken down into 13 baptismal vows mm-hmm. that are kind of the bare essentials. And I've used that for 40 years. I got a note today. It's interesting that you would be doing this interview today because someone just emailed me a few minutes ago and they said, Pastor Doug, the Northern California Conference has just told Granted, but you get the gold medal for baptism for 2020. We baptized 30 people. Hmm. So it's not hurting us from baptizing people hmm. to have a high standard. 
I think people want something to stand for. But um, you, you see, you know, the 13 baptismal vows are basic things. It's saying, you know, I believe the Bible is the Word of God. Well, you shouldn't baptize a person if they don't believe that. Mm-hmm. I believe in God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you guys probably know what the baptismal vows are. So I've just used that for years, and it seemed to serve pretty well. Mm-hmm. And it actually mentioned smoking in there, so I'm just following. <laughs> with the, you know, that's what it says right there. I think I think there's a clear delineation, delineation that you draw between conversion slash salvation and baptism. Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, you've got, you've got justification. A person comes to Christ just like they are. And when I came to Christ, I, I, you know, I was naked for one thing. I was running around in the mountains and uh, drinking, smoking, stealing, using drugs. And, uh, and I came to Christ, and I know he came into my heart. And, but I was still smoking pot, you know. I had friends that were saying, it's the herb of the field, Doug, what difference does it make? And, you know, these were Christians. <laughs> so, but, you know, I didn't know. And Isaiah said, you learn to do well. So there's a learning process. That's sanctification. But at some point, um, when you meet someone, you might have love at first sight, but you, you don't get married the first day. If a guy's got an old girlfriend, he shouldn't be marrying some other gal. And if we're still dating the devil at some area of our life where you're, you know, we're addicted to alcohol or cigarettes or something, addictions are, I think, things you really need to lay aside. Hmm. Um that they're going to hurt your witness and they're going to hurt you after getting baptized. Then the Lord said, Doug, look on the inside and said, Oh man, I got selfishness and pride and all kinds of problems. It's not your problem's end, but you want to reach a threshold where you say, I am, I'm turning away from the ways of the world and I want to follow Christ. Mm-hmm. Pastor Doug, I wanted to pivot really quick as maybe we're beginning to wind down here. Um, or maybe it's, it's sort of a throwback and a pivot. It, I think it connects to my earlier question, and I guess this whole topic in general. Um, Just ask the question, Anthony. Yeah, <laughs> sometimes, sometimes you need a lengthy preamble, Jesse. <laughs> I tend to be long-winded, so I'm just gonna sh- I'm gonna shoot for it. I um, I'm a black man, and in recent years, the conversation around race, racial reconciliation, um, especially in the past couple of years, has just seemed to skyrocket. It seemed to skyrocket. Um, I'm curious because, again, I think those who dwell in spaces that I live in and come from would say that racial reconciliation and social justice, that word that seems to be sort of a buzzword, I'm in, I'm interested in, I guess, number one, what do you think about that word, social justice? And number two, again, those people in those spaces, I think, would say that social justice and advocating for the marginalized is such a key part of the gospel. Um, and so I'm curious, what's your take on that? Do you agree, disagree? And again, not trying to pin you in a corner, but I'm, I'm curious. We're trying to, we're trying to keep this like, and I think you are too. We're trying to keep this out of like Democrat Republican language, but just right. out of like the yeah. the ideas, the themes of all of that. Well, Jesus, I think, is our model, and uh, Christ through his whole ministry, he did not go to the um, uh, the seminary. Not anything against seminary, <laughs> but you know, he went and he dealt with the off scouring of society. Mm-hmm. and people like Mary Magdalene and a cursing fisherman like Peter. And he even went up, I was reading again this morning, the story where he went to the woman of Tyre, and they were surprised when this uh, Gentile woman was crying after him, you know. We we're only supposed to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So the disciples had serious discrimination issues. And he answered her 
the way that a Jew would normally have answered. It's not good to give the children's food to dogs. And, of course, she persisted. And uh, he said, woman, great is your faith. And he healed her daughter. Mm. Well, that was the only thing he did on that trip. He went up there to heal her daughter. Mm-hmm. And so you look at the example of Christ, and Christ said that there is neither male or female, there's neither bond or free, that God is made of one blood all nations. And uh, any of my close friends know that, um, well, they know where I stand. First of all, I grew up in New York City going to public school. And uh, so... Santa Mar. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, any of you know, John Lomacan and I were in ministry together. I called him into ministry to be my associate. And then Karen and I called uh, a black family to Sacramento, and we paid their salary for the first year because the conference said they didn't have money. So, uh, yeah, any of my friends will know where I stand on some of those issues. Perfect. Well, I, I guess kind of the question about that is is – do you think the church has because I mean for instance people who might fall in the what you might call liberal camp are I think Anthony mentioned this earlier are so that's like a key issue is you know we got to care for care for the poor it's, it's social justice like how are we treating our LGBTQ uh, neighbors like you know do we have a stance on it do we have all these things whereas it can feel like on a conservative side of things religiously that some of those things are less of a concern if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for instance, that the concern, the concerns on the liberal side are more about theological, um, theological purity, uh, making sure that our, our theology is, is is pure and correct, and 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 uh, and so on, and also about maybe even separating ourselves from what we might consider sin. And those are those are really important because we want to be pure, we want to be good for God. Um, so, yeah, like I mean, do you see tension there, or or do you think that that's there shouldn't there there is tension where there shouldn't be in all of that, in, in at least the religious space? We can we don't have to talk about the political space, but the, the like the Adventist Church. Yeah, there probably is tension there, and um, you know people uh, people scratch where it itches, and if a person feels like truth is being compromised, you're going to hear them accentuating truth theology. Hmm. Uh, if others uh, feel like people are being marginalized and hurt, that's where that's where you're going to hear them calling out. Um, you know, Jesus, we, you know, I'm glad we're talking today, is Christ said we need unity. Mm. And if you read in John 17, he talks about, Father, I pray they might be one as we are one. But just before Jesus says that, he says, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. Mm. And uh, Ellen White actually says that um, for us to have the unity where all men will know that we're his disciples by our love for one another, it must start with truth. Uh, because, mm. uh, you know, I can't overstate the importance of truth. All unity must be built on truth. And I think sometimes people feel like we must sacrifice truth for unity. And I think when we really agree on truth, then you you find unity. Mm. So um, Doug, that's part of, that I think, That seems the to difference. be the hard part. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Was that, Eric? Um, no, I was just, real quick, I was wondering, talking about unity, you know, a few years ago, the the GC kind of made a big push for unity within the church and that I feel like that kind of backfired in a lot of ways. I'm wondering, do, do you have any, um, idea of a plan or solve it for us? How, Pastor yeah. Doug, solve. <laughs> solve, solve all the church problems. All for right. Us. Here you go. When, when Christ came the first time, now I don't know if I'm going to solve it, but when Christ came the first time, you see that, uh, 
James and John were vying for position on the right and left. It alienated the other ten disciples, and they were arguing among themselves who was the greatest. And when Jesus washed their feet and they saw Christ die for their sins, uh, it's like that parable in Matthew 18, how can we not forgive our brother and love our brother when we've been forgiven 10,000 talents? Mm. And when we see Jesus hanging on our cross for our sins, all of a sudden everyone else's offenses shrink into insignificance. And before the Holy Spirit's going to be poured out on the church, I believe that the members need to... um, Jesus said, I can't forgive you if you can't forgive your brother. That's something that is one of the plainest scriptures. It's in the Lord's Prayer. It says, if you do not <laughs> yeah. forgive men their trespasses, then neither will your Father in heaven forgive you. And once we see how much we are forgiven, it makes it easy for us to forgive each other. And we may not always agree. I mean, even Paul and Peter kind of took a few jabs at each other on how they were operating. But, oh, yeah, Peter, he came back and he said, My, our beloved brother Paul has written into you. Um, as in all his epistles, as in the scriptures, he compares his writing with scripture. And then he says, and some things are hard to understand. <laughs> and Paul says, Peter, you're being a little bit of a hypocrite in the book of Galatians. He says, you know, you're acting like you're a Gentile until the Jews show up. Uh, so, they, they, you know, they probably still had their disagreements, but they, they laid it aside because of their common love for Jesus. And I think the closer we come to Christ, uh, that's going to be the key to real unity. I love that. Well, th- Thank you, Doug. We want to let you go because we know you have some meetings after this, but uh, we really appreciate the conversation, especially the uh, the nuance of it. And I know, I know, for instance, on your YouTube page, you answer a lot of questions and, and things like that. So it's But it's nice to have a conversation where we can hear nuance, ask clarifying questions and, and all of that. So I just want to thank you for that and uh, say that we really appreciate you uh, taking your time to, to be part of this conversation. Well, thank you. Appreciate the invitation, and God bless you guys. Pastor Doug, before you go, can we also, you mentioned in the beginning, next week's your birthday. Is that true? Can we wish you happy birthday? (laughs) Yeah, you can wish me happy birthday. (laughs) That's true. There it is. Happy birthday. Or condolences or something. (laughs) (laughs) We're not going to sing because it's going to be out of sync on here. It's going to be a nightmare. What a nightmare. Uh, I've tried Zoom happy birthday. It's it's not a good thing. It's not a good thing to do Zoom happy I know, birthday. I know. We tried it once at our office. It didn't sound very good. No, it doesn't. <laughs> but, uh, All right. Well, thank well, we you, guys. It. God bless yeah. and uh, appreciate the invitation. Awesome. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right, everyone. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Seeking What They Saw. We hope you found it engaging. And uh, before we go, of course, I have to thank our 17-time watermelon-eating champion, Eric Edstrom, our producer, for making us sound pretty. We love you, Eric. Thanks so much. All right, everyone. We'll see you next time on Seeking What They Saw.